Today, we are going to start to look at the Gospel of Mark. And um, actually, the title of the sermon is The Gospel of Jesus Christ as Recorded by Mark. And you could almost retitle it The Gospel of Jesus Christ as spoken by Peter the Apostle and recorded by Mark his scribe. We, we learn from church history that Mark, his name is John Mark, was the apostle, uh, was the apostle Peter's writer, his scribe, and was basically writing down Peter's recollection of the ministry of Jesus. Okay? So the gospel of Jesus, as spoken by Peter, as recorded by Mark. All right? Now, what else do we know about Mark from Scripture? Well, first thing we know, and by the way, I'm going to actually read from Mark, but give me a few minutes because I want to tell you about Mark himself. Okay? First, we, we find out that Mark lives in Jerusalem with his mother. And that home was the gathering place for the apostles and the early church. Not the whole church, but the apostles and many, many believers met in Mark's mother's house. How do we know that? Well, Herod, first of all, kills one of the apostles named James. James's brother is John, who wrote another gospel. Right? And everybody likes that. They applaud Herod. So he goes, all right, I'm going to grab another one. And he grabs Peter and locks Peter in jail. And Peter's in chains. He's guarded by uh, guards. And God sends an angel, Houdini angel, down into the prison, picks the locks, opens the door, kind of puts the, the guards asleep, leads Peter out by the hand to the streets of Jerusalem. And there he, he kind of wakes up, and it says this in Acts 12, 12. When he realized this, that he was free, right? He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. So this is Mary, not Mary, mother of Jesus, Mary, mother of John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. It says, where many were gathered together and praying, something kind of funny happened. So Peter is like, well, I guess I'll go to the prayer meeting. He knocks on the door, and the servant girl named Rhoda goes to the door and says, who is it? And uh, Peter goes, it's Peter. And she doesn't open the door. She goes back and tells everybody, uh, Peter's out there. And they're like, no, he isn't. He's in prison. We're busy praying. Get back in here and pray. Well, God brings the answer to the prayer right to the door. Peter, finally, they let him in. But we know that that's Mark, okay? Now, the next thing we hear about Mark is that he is on the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas go on a missions trip, and they send the church of Antioch in Syria, sends Paul and Barnabas 
on their first trip, and we learn that John Mark is on the trip also. First, they sailed to Cyprus because that was Barnabas' home. That's a big island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And then they sail up to the mainland, and it says this, Acts 13, 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, which is on Cyprus, and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, if you just read that, you go, oh, well, maybe he was sick, maybe, who, you know, who, who knows, but he, he left them. But later on, we discover that it wasn't just, I don't feel good, I'm going home, but it was a desertion, okay? In Acts 15, once Paul and Barnabas get back home, they want to go on another missionary trip. And in Acts 15.37, it says, Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. And we're going to find out because John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. Come on, let's give him a second chance. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them. Many translations say deserted them. In, uh, in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. So the, the dynamic duo, Paul and Barnabas, are so in disagreement over John deserting them that they split. Okay, Text doesn't tell us who was right, who was wrong, they just couldn't agree, and Paul and Barnabas split up. Okay, Verse 39, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Okay, So is Mark useless now? Is Mark such a failure that God can no longer use him? Well, interestingly, we, we see his name come up in two of Paul's letters. So 15 years later, at the end of Colossians, Colossians 4.10, so, so Paul's in prison when he's writing uh, Colossians. It says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. So, so Paul earlier had said, go ahead and receive Mark, and, and he's good. He's a, he's a good guy, okay? But Mark's back in the picture with Paul. Then 2 Timothy 4.11. This is the last thing Paul writes that is in Scripture before he gets his head chopped off. 2 Timothy 4.11, Luke alone is with me, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Is Mark useless? No. In fact, here's a, here's a thought I had. I don't know that 
Paul was even mad at John Mark. The argument was between Paul and Barnabas over whether they should bring John Mark. Paul said he's not reliable. Barnabas said, yeah, give him a second chance. But I don't know that Paul was angry with John Mark. He was just planning the missionary trip, the second missionary trip. And he said, no, we're not going to bring him. It didn't work last time. Barnabas said, so I don't know that there was even a fallout between Paul and Mark. But if there was, he's back in the pictures picture. Paul says he's very useful to me, and God uses him to write a gospel. Okay? Now, um, question. What can we learn from this little adventure uh, in John Mark's life? Failure is not terminal. Okay? Failure is not terminal. And when, when I say failure, I don't even necessarily mean Moral failure. I don't, know, I don't know that Mark leaving was a moral failure. It was just a, uh, it was a mission failure. Okay. Um, may, it, maybe it got hard. Maybe it was a failure of perseverance. We don't know. But it was a mistake. Okay. You know, sometimes uh, people... Christians come to church and you're beat up and you're feeling horrible and the pastor will say something like, well, don't worry, you're forgiven. And they go, yeah, I know I'm forgiven. That's not the issue. The issue is it's not a matter of sin. It's just a matter of my boss is yelling at me or my wife is yelling at me or I made a, I made a big financial mistake. Here, I think we see that, that Mark makes a mistake, moral or not, and God still uses him. Okay? After, after quitting, Mark could have curled up in a ball and said, I'm a failure, I'm useless. But God uses him. Okay? Can you uh, think of anybody in the Apostles' band who it might be good for Mark to talk to about failure? How about Peter? Yeah. Wouldn't it be neat if Peter could take Mark under his wing and say, listen, you want to talk about failure? <laughs> I denied him three times. 1 Peter 5.13, Peter writes, She who is at Babylon, he's talking about the church in Rome, Okay. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Peter embraces Mark, shows him, uh, you know, tells all, all about Jesus. Mark writes the gospel, and, and Peter, restored failure, restores It's not the the end of the world if you failed at something. You ever ever have um, like nightmares about something stupid you did in the past? I um, I was thinking about this. I I guess the older I get, the weirder my dreams get. 
Um, of course, it could be that the bean dip before I go to bed. I don't know what, what it is, but um, this, this thing is in my mind. It's, it, I dreamed about it a few times. So I'm a junior in high school playing football. I, I, was, uh, I started on the front line in, on offense, but on defense I was like second or third string linebacker. And one of the linebackers gets hurt. So they said, Smitty, my name's Smitty, get in there. So I'm playing right linebacker. The, the ball is hiked, and it's handed out, and it's going in the opposite direction. So I figure I'll just kind of trot into the backfield, and it's a reverse. And it's coming right at me. And all I have to do is tackle a guy, and I'm a hero. Okay? Now, they tell you when you tackle, keep your head up. They always say, keep your head up. Keep your... You know what I did? I put my head down, and I went to tackle this guy, and he hurtled right over me. And I don't know if he scored or whatever. I found myself sitting on the bench. And I'm like, ah! So what? How has it affected my life? I don't think in the game films I even got yelled at. But Satan keeps bringing stuff like that up to make you feel like a loser. Just say one word, Mark. Mark. Mark failed, and God used him. Okay, so that's Mark. All right? That's a little mini lesson on Mark. So now we're going to actually read Mark. So... Here is the scripture, Mark 1, 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and I'm going to throw in, as recalled by Peter, as written by Mark. Okay? As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, Make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism. See, that's why we have this up here. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So before Jesus walks on the scene, God sends John to prepare the way. So I want to look at John's mission, his method, and his message. Okay? What, what's his mission? Well, every king needs a herald. You know, when they have the State of the Union address, and everybody's in the, in the house and the... Uh, uh, it's ready to start, and the, the attendant says, 
ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. And then he walks down. Everybody, every you know, important person needs a herald. And John knew that that was his role. His role was not to call attention to himself, but to point to Jesus. He, he was a born second fiddle. Okay, second banana. All right. So, but we, we know that he was not just out there on his own. He was prophesied about in the scriptures. In fact, take a look at verse 3. It says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And then this is a quote from Isaiah 40, verse 3. All right. Now, Mark writes, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. The original verse in Isaiah 40, verse 3, says this. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the name of God. Prepare the way because God is coming. Make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. So, Isaiah prophesies that a voice in the desert, John's out in the desert, that's where the Jordan is, in the desert, and he is preparing the way for the Lord God. And who does he point to? Jesus. Right from the beginning, Mark is telling us that Jesus is God. You know, sometimes you read John, John's first verse, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That, there it is, Jesus is God. This is also Mark proclaiming that Jesus is God because John the Baptist is the fulfillment of Isaiah 40, verse 3. Okay? Now, I'm not so sure people understand how influential John the Baptist was. Okay? God had been silent for 400 years. The last prophet was Malachi. 400 years of silence. And then John appears, and everybody is convinced that he is a prophet from God. In fact, verse 5 says this. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And I, I had a map, not just of Jerusalem, but of Judea, which at that time spanned from the Jordan River all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. It was a huge amount of territory. Hundreds of thousands of people went out to hear John preach and be baptized. Right? Everybody knew he was a prophet sent from God. But John knew it wasn't about him. His job was to point to Jesus. Verse 7. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. The 
uh, lowliest slave in a household was the one who untied the sandal straps of people who came to the house. And John is saying, I am, I am so low compared to the one I'm going to point to that, that I'm not even worthy to undo. I'm lower than the lowest servant to undo his strap. Right? Verse 8, I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm baptizing, but he is going to, he's going to have the Holy Spirit of God indwell you. He's going to dunk you in the Holy Spirit. So John knew it wasn't about him. Now, in John chapter 3, the people go to John and they go, hey, that guy you pointed to, Jesus, he's baptizing more people than you. John, you're losing numbers. We gotta boost your Facebook. We gotta get your social media. You can't be losing people to this other guy. And what does John say? John 3 30. He must increase and I must decrease. John knew his mission was not to get a crowd for himself, but to gather a crowd to follow Jesus. And and that's just a good reminder to anybody who's in ministry, to anybody who leads a Bible study, to anybody who's a Christian. It's not about us. It's about us pointing people to Jesus. Okay, What's his mission? To point to Jesus. Secondly, what's his method? Well, he baptized, verse 4. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the Jews had a bunch of washing practices. Before they would eat, they would wash their hands a certain way. Um, But full immersion baptism was only for Gentiles who wanted to become followers of the Jewish God. They required the men to get circumcised and then the people to be baptized. Now, John is doing something outrageous here. He's calling for Jews to be baptized like Gentiles. He's he's calling for the church people to admit they're no better than the pagans. And to be baptized was to admit, I need salvation. I need cleansing just as much as the Gentiles do. Now, um, lots of people went and got baptized, but a lot were insulted, especially the Jewish leaders. They said, why would I need to be baptized? I am a descendant of Abraham. Now, in Luke's gospel, 3, verse 8, John says, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God's able from these stones to raise up children for 
Abraham. Don't rely on being in the line of Abraham, as all Jews did. All Jews were, and all Jews were, uh, were, were taking pride. I was born into the right group. Okay? John's saying you need to repent and trust in the coming one. And a lot of them were, were insulted by that. You know, um, the, the Sunday before last, I preached on baptism. And we talked about the different kinds of baptism that churches practice. And, and we practice what you call believer's baptism. You believe, and then you get baptized. A lot of churches practice infant baptism where um, they point to Old Testament circumcision and they say, well, just like Old Testament baby boys were circumcised, so the, the children of the people of Israel, they included their babies, they gave them the sign of that covenant, just by, through birth, they gave them circumcision. So a lot of churches practice infant baptism based on circumcision. The babies were circumcised, the babies should be baptized. Now, some churches think it saves the baby. Others say, no, it just includes the baby into uh, the church. It doesn't save them, okay? So, for example, Catholics and Lutherans think that it saves the baby. Uh, Methodists and uh, Presbyterians and those in the Reformed tradition, they say, no, it doesn't save the baby. But just like circumcision was given to all the children, baptism should be given to all the children of believers to include them. Now, along comes a, a, a Baptist, and I say, now, wait a minute. John's baptism required repentance, something, something that a baby can't do. Now, I remember a long time ago hearing a great Presbyterian pre uh, preacher, R.C. Sproul, preach on the idea that John's baptism was very different from Christian baptism which was practiced after Christ's resurrection. Okay? And I, I, I thought, wow, I can't remember where that sermon, where to even start to hear that sermon. Now, true story, last Saturday, we're in California. We spoke at a, a conference in Sacramento. And then we drove from Sacramento all the way down to L.A. A lot of desert territory. That was five hours. And I'm a type of person, I need noise. I need the radio on. I probably drove you crazy. I'm flipping the radio around, uh, FM, AM. Then, the, then you lose the station, you go by mountains. And just like halfway through, I push a button, and it's R.C. Sproul, super clear, preaching on infant baptism. 
What do you think that means? Absolutely nothing. No. It, <laughs> yeah. I, I got to hear him again say, wait a minute. John the Baptist's baptism is not the same as Christian baptism because he knows that John required repentance for those people being baptized. But he would like, and those who practice infant baptism, would, would like to be able to baptize infants. So they have to make a distinction between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism. Now, here's my question. Is there more continuity between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism? Or is there more continuity between Jesus' baptism and circumcision, which was given 2,000 years earlier? Okay. Um, they would argue that there's more continuity between circumcision and Christian baptism. I just want to point out that John's baptism and Jesus' baptism, while, while yes, there are some differences... John even says, I'm doing it in water, he'll do it in the Holy Spirit, okay? But I want you to notice two things, okay? One, Jesus continues John's baptism. John is arrested, and Jesus, and then it says in John uh, chapter 4, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So this is, this is early in his ministry. He continues practicing John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. Okay? In fact, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus goes out preaching and his message is repent and believe. Okay? And then Peter, okay, so now after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Peter on his Pentecost sermon preaches about Christ and they go, what should we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. I think there's a lot of continuity between John's baptism of repentance and Christ's baptism, calling for repentance and belief. So, enough, uh, enough on, on baptism. But um, I, I think studying John's baptism and Jesus' baptism and circumcision, I still am convinced that baptism is for believers who have repented and believe. If you want to be baptized, let me know. Okay, last point. John's message. Verse 4. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John's message, repent, because the Lord is coming. Right? Now, as in every theological issue, there's a bit of a controversy over what is repentance. Okay? There are those who are, are very concerned that we don't add works to the gospel. Okay, And I'm, I, I am concerned we don't want to add 
any works. So, so sometimes it, 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 people will say, well, you need to repent and believe in Jesus and do the following. First of all, you've got to cry really hard. And then you've got to walk the aisle. And then you've got to burn all your Led Zeppelin albums, right? You know, that was big back when I was in... Uh, if you play it back, if Stairway to Heaven backwards, it says, six, six, six. So you've got to burn that album, right? So there are those who say, no, 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 we don't, we don't want to add any works. It's, it's by faith alone, and that is a noble thing, okay? But then there are those who are very concerned that we don't let people be deceived about their salvation by having just a, a purely intellectual faith. And there's no regeneration, no being born again, no, no uh, change of heart. Because James says, yeah, even the demons believe and shudder. So one group is really cautious to not want to add any works. The other group is really cautious that your faith is not just in your head but doesn't touch your heart. And I think John is helpful when it comes to understanding repentance because he makes a distinction between repentance and the fruit of repentance. He makes a distinction between repentance and fruit, but he doesn't separate them. I think we can distinguish between repentance and fruit but we can't separate them. So, again, in Luke's gospel, John preaches this. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And they go, John, could you be a little bit more specific? What should we do? And he says, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. He told tax collectors, collect no more than you are authorized to. Soldiers, don't extort money. So he was not afraid to tell them, here's what repentance will look like. Here's the fruit of repentance. You're going to change this, 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 and this. But he does distinguish the works from repentance itself. So I would say technically repentance is an internal change of direction. It's, it's the prodigal son running from the father and then his heart changes to go back to the father. Okay? And it will result in a radically changed life, but that radically changed life is not what saves you. And you say, now wait a minute, isn't salvation by faith alone what... Now it sounds like repentance is part of the, the package. Well, when we say faith, faith, belief, is a repenting belief. And repentance is a believing repentance. Two sides of the same coin. But bottom line, John was preparing the way for the first coming of Jesus by calling people to stop trusting in, in their being born a Jew. Today he would say stop trusting in being born a Catholic or a Lutheran or a Baptist or whatever you are born 
and radically repent, trust in Jesus to save you. Save you from what? Verse, verse 9 of Luke 3. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. They were hearing that the day of the Lord was at hand. Their concept of the day of the Lord was the Messiah would come and there would be a massive destruction of the enemies of God. And those who had repented and turned to the true God would be saved. Now, they didn't understand, and I don't even know that John understood, that Jesus was going to come in two parts. First time to die. Second time, he will come back to judge the living and the dead. Now, let me, let me end this, and I, I, I want to be careful because every time something happens in Israel, the prophecy experts are like, this is it, this is it, right? But you do know that Israel got attacked by Hamas yesterday. I heard today 600 dead, thousands injured, okay? Um, and you go, what, what significance does that have? Well, in... Zechariah 12, it says that in the end, God will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling for all the surrounding nations. And to complicate matters, okay, so Hamas is being fed by Iran, which is developing nukes. Israel has nukes. Um, I'm very curious what's going to happen over there. Now, on the other hand, I want to be careful not to go, oh, this is it and write a book and sell it because it's sensational, okay? But I do think it would be appropriate to go, you know, all this talk about Jesus coming back might happen in your lifetime. And John's message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If Jesus returned today, would you be ready? Maybe another question. What do you need to turn from if Jesus were to walk in the door today? Not, hey, it was a nice church service. And what do you need to turn from to prepare your heart and your life for the return of the Lord? And the good news is all who repent will be forgiven. So, let me pray, and we will then take communion, remembering what the Lord has done for us, okay? Lord, thank you for Mark's gospel. Thank you for Mark's life, even his testimony of failure followed by being used greatly. Uh, we're encouraged, encouraged by Lord, and I do pray that as we hear the message to repent and believe that we would apply that uh, to our lives. Maybe some have never turned to you. Maybe others just need to renew that. Uh, but Lord, we want to be prepared for your second coming. Pray that you would do the work in our hearts that is needed and that we would glorify you with our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.